Hey, everybody. This is Patrick, the Chief Monkey and founder of Wall Street Oasis. Just wanted to first off say thank you so much for listening to this podcast. Second, wanted to make sure for any of you in the market for financial modeling training, remind you that Wall Street Oasis does have some incredible financial modeling training courses, including Excel modeling, financial statement through, you know, linking up the three statements, DCF, valuation, M&A, LBO, um, even more niche courses like 13-week cash flow, venture capital course, real estate modeling, you name it. Go ahead and check them out at wallstreetoasis.com slash courses. Thanks for the support. Hello and welcome. I'm Patrick Curtis, your host and chief monkey, and this is the Wall Street Oasis podcast. Join me as I talk to some of the community's most successful and inspirational members to gain valuable insight into different career paths and life in general. Let's get to it. In this episode, Joe shares his non-traditional path from a non-target school, the University of Wisconsin, to breaking into investment banking at Merrill Lynch right before it was acquired by Bank of America. Perhaps more impressive than that feat was his ability to land a highly competitive buy-side associate role straight into Bain Capital Ventures and then break into Harvard Business School a few years after that. His latest move was to pivot after several years at Samsung's venture arm to found his own venture capital firm. Not surprisingly, that is also going well for him. Learn what he thinks set him apart and why he spent an extra year in college. Enjoy. All right, Joe, thanks so much for joining the Wall Street Oasis podcast. My pleasure. Thanks for having me. So it'd be great if you could just start out with a short bio for the listeners. Sure. So I grew up in Madison, Wisconsin, and attended University of Wisconsin, uh, where I studied business, uh, dual major in finance and real estate. Um, yeah, I was kind of a badger since I could walk with all of my parents and grandparents having attended the university. So I was super proud to call that my uh, home for five years, which we can get into later. But um, yeah, so went from there and was fortunate to land an internship at Merrill Lynch M&A in New York City where I ended up uh, summering and then spending two years in the banking world um, and jumped from that to Bain Capital Ventures in Boston. Um, at the time, kind of the Boston office was the main office. Um, there was less of a presence in New York and SF. So mm-hmm. got to uh, have some exposure to venture capital and growth equity while I was there. And then attended Harvard Business School for two years, also in Boston uh, and Cambridge. And um, following that helped to Um, build out Samsung's venture capital team in New York City, which was a high-tech software practice. I was there for about three years before doing what I'm doing now, which is running a venture capital fund called Studio VC along with one other partner. Great. So there's a lot lot to unpack there. Let's start all the way back in undergrad. So you you were a Badger. And going through that school, was it it a school you kind of had targeted since you were, you know, in high school? Was it like you, you said, kind of your whole family went there, I guess, right? Yeah. And yeah, I mean, I practically grew up on campus. So uh, my first informal job was, uh, I started parking cars for football games on football (laughs) Saturdays at my parents' house. And then uh, being a young uh, and budding entrepreneur started to buy out all of my neighbors lots, and eventually (laughs) turned into a nice little business, which was helpful, because my whole plan was, uh, and kind of out of necessity was to put myself uh, through undergrad. And so you know, the cost was right to stay in state and, and also, you know, really valued the fact that I could get right into the business uh, program pretty early on. Um, Are your parents entrepreneurial like that? Or was that just something? 
My, mo my mom was a teacher, a uh, special needs teacher, and my dad has been in sales and entrepreneurship um, for almost his whole career. But yeah, between the two of them, they launched, um, I tried to count it up the other day, but it was something like seven kind of part-time or full-time businesses. And so yeah, dinner table conversations were everything from a new pet treat that my parents worked on together to uh, a crazy bumper sticker idea that my dad came up with and sold. Um, and the latest thing, which my dad is pursuing is, um, is a cheese curd business, which is, uh, <laughs> cheese curd. Whole, yeah. Cheese curd. Yeah. So it's <laughs> kind of Wisconsin's favorite food and he's, he's, uh, now evangelizing it around Florida and the rest of the East coast. That's awesome. That's awesome. So it was kind of, uh, in the, in the blood, um, you, you're kind of doing well for yourself, putting yourself through school, mostly through this parking business or how did you, yeah, I mean, it was, it was, it was that and a variety of other odd jobs. Um, I guess my, my first formal job was I was a caddy at a golf course. So that was a big part of my early life was playing competitive golf and competitive hockey. Cool. And, uh, you know, while I was not quite good enough to play at Wisconsin, I did um, use those to, to get into the industry and work, work in the golf industry for a little while to, to help pay my way as well. But um, yeah, I mean, I was super passionate fan of the Badgers and then, you know, heard nothing of good, uh, of good things, but good things about the business program uh, as undergrads there. So yeah, I was really excited to go. You know, I had a couple of reach schools that I thought would be neat to try out. But um, at the end of the day, the kind of cost benefit and, and staying in state was was right for me. And I was fortunate to have a ton of friends that kind of went from my high school to college and was able to maintain those relationships, which was kind of like a built in little frat, uh, frat without being a frat. That's awesome. And so did you, you know, you said you you had known about the business program before you went, but was banking kind of what everyone put on a pedestal or was it even known? When did you kind of know to even target investment banker and what it was? Awesome question. Um, I can speak for myself and I really did not know what an investment banker did when I started at, uh, at Wisconsin. Mm -hmm. um, and as I started to dive more into the curriculum and learn about some of the, the folks that had sort of found success coming out of Wisconsin, it became more apparent that investment banking was an amazing uh, first career and a fantastic way to learn business schools, drinking from the firehouses. I'm sure people say all the time on here, but you know, I didn't really realize that um, until I was a couple years into my undergrad. Mm -hmm. And uh, I actually had the opportunity to internship, uh, do an internship at SC Johnson, the large uh, consumer products company that makes things like uh, Glade plugins and, <laughs> and things like that um, and cleaning products. But while I was there, I was working in corporate development and, you know, kind of went into that thinking, oh, this is going to be great. I'm going to get to see all these big corporate deals and maybe even get to work on an acquisition or a divestiture on behalf of this big company. And uh, even though I had a fantastic time and the team there was like just terrific to work for and like especially at that young age, uh, really did, did the handholding necessary to sort of like bring me into the workforce. You know, what I did learn was that like deals were not happening left and right within the context of corporate development. And so I started to think, well, if, if I want to get like my hands on actual meaningful deals, what's the career for that? And then I, so I came back from that internship and said, I really want to do investment banking. And unfortunately, I was pretty late to realize that. So this is me coming back from my junior year um, going into at senior, SC yeah. Johnson and, you know, this coming into my senior year and sort of hoping to, to do investment banking was seemed uh, unlikely. So I, I decided to actually add a major and treat my post senior year as another internship opportunity, which is how I landed Merrill Lynch M and A. I, you know, I've heard of that. Is that 
a thing now where people, when they find about find out about investment banking too late and they miss that kind of sophomore, junior, summer internship, have you have you heard of a lot of kids doing that now, staying an extra whole year? Because it's, it's a financial. I had it at the time. Um, it's 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 for whatever reason it's relatively common at Wisconsin. Mm. Um, people have a, a number of majors. It's a very large school, and sometimes graduating on time is difficult um, on its own. But you know, let alone wanting to add an internship. So. It, it kind of worked out in, in my favor and allowed me to sort of mature intellectually and professionally a little bit more uh, and also just learn the tools and interview, interview skills and spend a lot of time probably reading your website, trying to get ready for um, an investment banking internship. And so, yeah, I mean, I think I, I had a few investment banking internship uh, interviews the first summer uh, around. And I, I think if I had a video of those, I'd want to light those those tapes on fire but you know coming back the next year yeah uh, was just so much more well prepared and that was in, you know partially thanks to a lot of my peers at Wisconsin that sort of mm-hmm. showed me and others the ropes in terms of what do you what it takes to get in an investment banking internship and full-time job yeah, and think- uh, you know then in the future we try to pay that forward after coming back from our internships and you know seeing what the the real work looks like and be able to tell the the folks a year younger than us kind of what it what's necessary to get on on Wall Street. Yeah, it's interesting that, you know, did you feel like, were you doing a lot of mock interviews with those people or was it more just like being able to talk to, oh, I've, you know, I've spoken with XYZ person. What was, what was the most helpful part about that? Mock interviews were super helpful, but I think we were pretty deliberate about really learning the skills, um, the skills and sort of topics that were necessary to understand and have command over before doing the mock interviews. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think just diving into the mock interviews without knowing some of the questions and preparing for them and like having a unique, but accurate answer for them, mm-hmm. um, was, was the best part about it. So started with prep. We had, you know, seniors teaching juniors and juniors teaching sophomores, um, you know, everything from like three ways to model a company or value a company mm-hmm. to accounting questions to, you know, the quirky trick questions that come up in banking. Was, was it a club? Was it like a club? It was, yeah. So the, it was called the Investment Banking Club mm-hmm. and it was founded, um, gosh, maybe one or two years before I got involved with it, mm-hmm. um, but ended up taking a leadership role there and, you know, we've expanded it, but, you know, at the same time, tried to keep it relatively manageable just so that we didn't have, you know, 150 kids trying to learn investment banking skills. It's, it's always been sort of between, tw- I think, 20 and 40 students that were interested in the space. And as a result, you know, we were able to be somewhat selective about who participated, but also, you know, cultivate a good learning environment that wasn't uh, the size of a large lecture. How is that done nowadays? Where is the club, it, obviously, like GPA can be part of it, but like, what else is do they have to be finance majors, economics majors? What What's the cutoff or like they have to interview to get into the club? Yeah, we, we did used to have interviews and obviously like a resume type screen. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, we were looking at sort of like what are the likely um, traits uh, that would help somebody land a job on Wall Street? Because we were trying to like our, our number one KPI was are we going to place people on Wall Street or, in you know, in comparable banking situations? And so, right. you know, we would review resumes as if we were recruiters from investment banks and so yeah that was the first vetting mechanism and the second was like you know willingness to be collaborative and help teach others eventually and things like that but yeah it was pretty multifaceted and I mean we were uh, students teaching other students so it was um, it's I'm sure become even more formal over the years but you know we did everything we could and it was it was fairly selective so I was really happy to be a part of that cool so you okay so you 
figured out what you want to do. You start actually preparing through this club and then you start dropping your resumes again, kind of as a, as a second junior kind of as, yeah, exactly. or a second. And yeah, how do so you, how just do you kind of went with the flow? Yeah. Did, did banks ask you any questions about that? Was it on the resume drops? Were there any like in your first rounds where they're like, Hey, what's this fifth year all about or expected date? Yeah. Good, good question. Um, remembering back, uh, you know, I didn't get a lot of pushback on that. I think it was more like, Hey, it's great that last, you know, last summer you had somewhat relevant um, experience looking at whether or not you did deals or not. At least you looked at deals and like, and tried to evaluate deals from a large corporate perspective, which is, you know, pretty relevant to banking without being banking. So net net, that was definitely a positive. Um, And, you know, just to, to double tap on what you said about the resume drops, coming from Wisconsin, we, we kind of, we didn't benefit from a lot of banks coming directly to us at that time. Now they're starting to become much more uh, open to it mm-hmm. since we have a little track record. But um, at the time it was really like, who do you know, which badgers do you know, which people in the big 10 do you know? Um, and then, you know, we all kind of paid our own way to come out to New York and, and really camped out for like four days at a really cruddy hotel in Midtown and set up, I think we probably met with 10 or 12 investment banks basically whoever would have us and uh, covered a lot of ground. And some of those banks were kind of uh, nice enough to even interview, do some screening while we were out here. Uh, And, and others said, you know, drop your resume. We'll see what happens after this. But during that trip, some of the, some of the folks, myself included, got, um, you know, interviewed by a bunch of banks and then were able to come back for super days and things like that later on. How did the, it's really interesting. So you guys went, guys and girls went as a group how many of like that trip that that new york trip that you guys had how many of how many people went on that when you got you got your probably almost every single junior or kind of junior level person uh Mm -hmm. in the club so that was probably like 15 or so it's a pretty good group and and, i want to say that like um i want to say that like the seniors versus the juniors versus the sophomores and sophomores were pretty rare but we would have about like 15 seniors, 15 juniors. So, thir- you know, 30 to 40 people in the club at any given time. But And was there um, a certain yeah, like success rate where like the seniors were too late by that point where they... Well, so a lot of them, a lot of them were just kind of still involved to like um, do more of the teaching and continue to prep on their own side and do case studies and things like that to get ready for their full-time roles. But wouldn't they already um, have full-time offers by the time they were... Yeah, so, yeah some, of the, some of the seniors who like helped facilitate a lot of this, um, we're set you know, up. The, the trip was comprised of like 95% juniors, if, if not, yeah. maybe even a hundred percent juniors, but it was certainly facilitated by the folks who had had positive experiences at, you know, places like, uh, Merrill or Goldman or, you know, JP or, or wherever. But, um, yeah, like I said, we ended up having enough connectivity to get in and at least sit in a conference room and learn about, you know, f- folks like, like I just mentioned and, and a bunch of others, but, yeah, it was literally like 10 banks in three days. And, and some of those yielded kind of immediate callbacks of like, Hey, we reviewed the 14 or 15 resumes of the people who came and we'd like to have a quick conversation with, you know, the following six. And some of those ended up uh, leading to, you know, follow so up was, was it com- to New York. Was it competitive almost inter inter group? Because it's kind of like, if they're only going to interview a certain percentage, it's going <laughs> to feel a little like <laughs> intimidating. I guess it's, you're kind of rooting for each other because you're, you're all together doing it but yeah it was we were we we're very team oriented and I think fortunately in most of those cases where they did interview you know on the spot so to speak it was very much like uh almost everyone got 
that 30 or 30 minute or 45 minute first screening interview. So um, there wasn't too much competition there, but then, you know, as things progressed and, you know, two out of 10 made it to the super day and the other eight didn't. Yeah. Uh, fortunately, I think, um, you know, people made it to, to some bank at the end of the day, whether yeah. it was like a Midwestern bank or a wall street bank, I think everybody landed, you know, the hit the, rate was the very, place, very high. The, so. placement, the placement was great even earlier on in those days because it was such a small group and a focus group. Yeah. I was just super scrappy. And, you know, we had had a couple, at least one year of, of interns preceding us that had done good work and kind of paved the way. And so, mm-hmm. yeah, those, those kind of uh, first guys who guys and girls who busted through the door really, really helped uh, the, the follow-up years. That's awesome. And so do you feel like, I know there's other, there's tons of investment banking clubs all around the, the country. Do you feel like um, they're becoming more prevalent? I know I've heard this many times that they're like really important to get into or some are really competitive. Um, do you feel like if somebody has an offer to stay in state and they have like a competing offer, it's a good, it's a good path still potentially if they really focus on getting into that club. And like, what happens oh, if you don't get into that club? Like what happens if you don't get into that club for whatever reason? <laughs> That's why I was yeah, asking I mean, a little bit gosh. about, cause, cause I'm sure it's, it's at Wisconsin, but it's also at like UMich, UMich, Penn State, yeah. like all these, all these schools that send a lot of people to Wall Street, but yeah, overall it's a very small fraction of the student population. Yeah, I think I think back uh, back when we were doing it, like two thousand five, six, seven, kind of when I graduated undergrad. Mm-hmm. Um, really, our our best comp at the time was Indiana University. I think had the best and earliest Kelly, investment yeah. banking, and and just kind of the Kelly School of Business, which is widely known as um, pretty well represented on Wall Street. So mm-hmm. um, that was one of the ways we modeled ourselves. And you know what you just mentioned, like I wasn't even aware of all those different clubs at the different schools, but um, yeah, certainly fantastic to hear. And I mean, whether or not you get into the club or not, I think you can benefit from a lot of the same things that we did, mm-hmm. um, which seem really low level. Um, but things as simple as like basically memorizing like the vault interview guide to finance and the vault interview guide to investment banking. Like that's where all of our mock interview and material and, and questions that we prepared for came from in the first place. Uh, and then, and then, you know, once you get some boots on the ground on wall street, you sort of get that echo effect of people saying, well, you know, we thought they were going to ask lots about accounting, but they actually didn't. They focused more on like finance and valuation or, um, right. you know, real world learnings like that, as opposed to like purely theoretical learnings that you might get out of a book or a guide. No, for sure. Yeah. I mean, for us, we have our, we have an interview course actually for investment banking now. And so we, the vault is like old school, man. You're, you're dating yourself. <laughs> well, I mean, I'm a, sure it was like, I'm just kidding. There's that we all printed out. Yeah, too. There's, yeah. there's much better options out there. No, no, just um, <laughs> so um, the interesting part is, so you, you guys all, it's, it's interesting that you all kind of made it somewhere um, into investment banking or at least somewhat comparable careers. Uh, you yourself and one other seem to have made it to kind of the best firms or, or a bulge bracket firm. Is that accurate? Um, yeah, I mean, my year, there was, there was folks that made it to a variety of the bulge bracket firms. Um, so some of those folks that even stayed on. So, mm-hmm. yeah, I mean, Gold, Goldman, Morgan, JP, you know, JP Morgan, Morgan Stanley, all, all of those sort of who's who I think we had representation at, awesome. uh, whether it was my year or the year behind me. So, and then yeah, what, it was good. I mean, and now I think you have some folks who've stayed on, uh, some senior folks like at, at GS where, mm-hmm. uh, I still have a close friend who's, who's now becoming pretty senior and, you know, the representation of Badgers has increased over time as well, which is great to see. And 
I guess going back to those the this trips and those screens, was there anything you felt that was different about how they interviewed your group or different about what set you apart from the people within your group that um, would be helpful to mm. someone listening? Like, is there something that you could point to to say, okay, this is that makes sense. This is why I got through and this person got through and this person didn't. Was it more just how well spoken you were, how well prepared you were? What was do you feel like was the most important factors in I think failing the like failing at the interviews when I mentioned I wanted to like burn those videotapes from the year before yeah was really helpful it was like I basically got to get a major league at bat Mm -hmm. um that didn't really accrue to my stat sheet so to speak like I got to go interview with you know I think Robert W. Baird uh investment banking and like Piper Jaffrey and I probably was very woefully underprepared in my junior year as I said and mm-hmm. so when I when I came back to interview the next time around, I was like, I know exactly how hard it's going to be. I know how intense it's going to be. I know how intimidating some of these folks can be. And so like, there were fewer surprises. So I think that definitely helps on the poise side just to be able to like, know what you're getting into. And then obviously having a full year to brush up on the content and hone my own story, which is, you know, kind of like I started describing earlier, which is kind of like entrepreneurial from a very young age and like interested in business from a young age always love math, love business, put the two together, you get an investment banker. <laughs> Fair. <laughs> so your story was more convincing, more genuine. Uh, by that point, you had kind of worked on it for a good year. You... Yeah, we were all kind of, we were all kind of in, interesting and different um, for good or for bad in the sense that we weren't coming to them through the typical channel. Like right. the interviews I'm describing were like one-off random days that they put together just for us. Yeah. Um, you know, and then if we made it through, then we would go to like something like a super day, which was the typical process, but we were coming from this like kind of left field angle where I think we probably got some credit just for being scrappy. Like, how'd you guys get in here again? And who do you know? And why am I interviewing you? That's like, you didn't go to my alma mater. (laughs) So for good or for bad, uh, we were interesting because of that. Okay. Fair enough. So you're starting, um, you didn't have, or you did have a normal internship then the summer before. So were you nervous that like you weren't going to be ready or weren't going to get the return offer where the return offers high um, that summer? Return offers were, um, yeah, they were pretty high. So I think that was 2006 going into 2007. Right. Um, so so everything hadn't still collapsed looked, yet. <laughs> everything still looked pretty rosy. Um, and, and then, yeah, the two years uh, or just short of two years that I spent at Merrill M&A you know, led right up to 2009 and the eventual acquisition and takeover uh, Bank of America and Merrill Lynch. So got to see that kind of on the inside track and fortunately had already, you know, pretty early on in the process lined up the Bain Capital Ventures offer. And so I I was happy to be an innocent bystander, but it was was interesting to see the drama unfold from inside the bank um, where, you know, some more senior folks were, uh, had a lot more, you know, at stake than I did as somebody who was prepared to make my exit anyhow, but, um, Mm -hmm. yeah, wild times, but, you know, certainly a great learning experience and learned a lot about myself and and learned a lot about kind of finance and deal-making, even though I also learned that it probably wasn't a career that I was going to pursue for the rest of my life. Was it something about the, the banking? So you were, uh, what group were you in again? You were in, I was in mergers and acquisitions. You were in in M&A. Did you get a lot of deals done in the two years you were there? I assume it was like busy and it dried up completely or what? Yeah. I mean, I wish I had, more completed deals to talk about. Um, 
I did work uh, a bit on Anheuser-Busch InBev, which was obviously a huge 60 billion plus deal. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then a variety of other deals that, you know, just never made it across the finish line. But right. um, yeah, no, you're exactly right. Things started to slow down uh, as, as banks and bankers started to get, you know, fighting and smelling the blood in the water as, as there was a lot of change coming about in the, in the market, broadly speaking. So Yeah. And so then um, tell me about the process. Was there ever a thought of when you said you went, you went Bain Venture, which is kind of a, yeah. you're going banking straight to venture is very uncommon, at least from what I've yeah. seen. Tell me a little bit about, did you consider private equity? Um, why not go private equity? Did you interview there? What was the whole process like in terms of why venture? Yeah. So I guess um, about five or six months into my full-time role mm-hmm. is when at that time, when the headhunters started sort of like banging down the door and, and setting up preliminary meetings. So it was literally like the holiday season of my first year um, that I started sort of engaging with the headhunter community. And, you know, most, mostly it was oriented towards like, do you want to do hedge fund or private equity? And uh, I kind of pretty quickly thought I wanted to do private equity because, you know, as much as I enjoy public market investing, I just, I thought my personality and skill set would lend itself better to just sort of doing deals where you have more ownership and control. Yep. And so definitely thought I was going to do private equity and, and immediately started interviewing, uh, you know, with the help of all these headhunters, of which there was probably eight that I was working with um, at the time. But, you know, took took the interviews with Carlisle and Apollo and um, Cerberus and just like uh, kind of everybody you could you could think of. But mm-hmm went, went through some, some process, multi-step process with, with folks like Carlisle and others. Um, and, you know, really thought for sure that's where I was going to go Yeah, and was, was, uh, you know, had the quick rejects elsewhere and then had some long processes with, with, um, with other PE firms. But during that process, I it was reached out to about being capital ventures and they said, Hey, look, they do, you know, venture and sort of some growth type checks and interesting tech enabled businesses and technology companies. Uh, would you be interested in meeting with them? And I said, sure. So um, the one thing I can say about that interview was that um, I had two hour long interviews with the Bain Capital Ventures partners right to start. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, I just kind of left left that meeting. And, and I ca- remember calling up my mom at the time and just being like, that was the best interview I've ever had. Um, in terms of your performance it, or in terms of just the... the no, not, not my performance, like was still probably unsure of at that point of how yeah. the performance went. But it was more so like I could tell that the people who were interviewing me were going to be a strong cultural fit mm. uh, for me. And incidentally, um, you know, one of them was Midwestern. So it kind of made me feel like I was talking to my, uh, one of my dad's friends. <laughs> yeah, so just like uh, yeah. culturally was a good fit. But then the second part of it was really just that like it felt tremendously emo- uh, intellectually engaging. So it was more about like, let's, let's, process um a market let's process a new business idea let's think about it both financially and strategically let's put it all together and evaluate an opportunity together so i kind of left like wow that was a really cool much more like a case study um mm-hmm. rather than you know this the super day at carlisle where i remember being put in a room and like building a model in in an hour right which to me felt um a little bit more rote i mean it was certainly high pressure and it's a huge part of the huge part of the job, but I didn't, I didn't like leave that, that exercise feeling tremendously fulfilled other than I was like, well, I got to an answer. I'm happy. Like I was able to crank this out as fast as I needed to. But, um, the main capital ventures, I just kind of like left and I was like, boy, I want to continue thinking about the opportunity we just discussed. That was really interesting. 
So did you um, get offers from the mega funds or tell me about like the timeline? So you, you were, had started some processes with the mega right. fund. I know it can be crazy fast when it starts and then like yeah. all done within a weekend. So did Bain cap kind of come in the second wave or what was the, yeah, I, I, I don't know. They were pretty early. Cause I remember uh, some of these other processes that I mentioned were still underway at the time. Mm -hmm. Um, and I'm sure I'd gotten like a few quick dings, but, um, some other processes were, were going on uh, longer, yeah. but you know, once, once I started engaging with bank capital ventures, they moved pretty quickly as well. And so following that, the first two partner meetings, I think the next step was flying to Boston and meeting really with all the rest of the partners, which I think at the time was like eight or eight or nine more partners, which was the entire partnership at the time. So okay. um, their super day was like, you meet everybody and you get a pretty quick judgment. So it was, and, and those interviews were more of the same in terms of like being uh, less tactical and more um, diving into businesses and like ripping them apart from a, you know, viability standpoint. A little more consulting kind of. I think that, I think Bain Capital Ventures and, and Bain Capital Private Equity um, definitely have some of that consulting DNA, um, mm -hmm. both because they hire from those areas uh, yeah. pretty extensively, but also because they were just kind of birthed out of them. Mm -hmm. And so yeah, you see kind of the way they approach diligence, you know, on the job is pretty reflective of how, how deep and wide, you know, I think a consultant would go if they were, if they were mapping like an entire market, for example. Right. Um, and that filtered down to the ventures group, which is like, okay, fine. You're looking at a $5 million series a, but let's approach this from a pretty, um, definitely not shoot from the hip, much more like deep, deep, uh, analysis. And, you know, large decks uh, that cover a lot of cover a lot of ground. So for me, that was a great foundational place to kind of learn diligence and, and learn about in growth investing. So you get the offer after that partner meeting, I'm sure right after they call you up and give you the offer and. Yeah, I know exactly where I was standing. Yeah. Um, tell me. <laughs> yeah, I was standing. Uh, it was probably like, were you still in Boston? Pretty late. No, I was back in New York, I was, uh, so Merrill Lynch's office was right down near where Goldman is now, mm -hmm. um, down on VC street, mm -hmm. uh, at the seaport in New York and, um, or not this, not the seaport, but a uh, world financial center. Okay. And, uh, um, so I was standing on the water. I popped out cause I knew they were going to call. And, um, yeah, I was pretty late at night cause I was, and I was still at, at my banking desk, but I popped out to take the call and, uh, yeah, I was just like thrilled to get the offer and was pretty sure I was going to take it, uh, shortly thereafter. And so that was what a year and a half before you were supposed to start. So yeah, still, it was I still, say, I would call it still on cycle. Let's call it still yeah. on cycle, but just. Different. Yeah. Yeah. So that was, um, in spring of 20, uh, or 2008, sorry. Yeah. And so was there any sort of pullback from the PE funds? Do you think from after with the, since we were in the depths of the financial crisis, <laughs> Or like the whole economy collapsing right around then? Yeah. <laughs> was you know, there I any? Think, I think like fortunately being that it was still 2000, you know, it was 2007 turning into 2008. Oh, I think the recruiting cycle was still yeah. really strong, which, which is good. Um, and as far as I know, like my other peers in the M&A group, you know, I think there was 12 of us, I want to say, and I think 11 of us left um, after, after two, one or two years. But um, mm -hmm. Yeah, nobody like got a PE offer and then it was rescinded or anything crazy okay. like that as far as I can remember, at least not from my group. Okay. And so you had this offer, things really started kind of changing the following year in your second year. 
and was there any sort of like, Hey, I want to get out of here. Was it hard to work when you had that offer in hand? I can imagine I didn't have an offer until like three months before I left my banking gig. Oh yeah. I can't imagine. It definitely both because you know, you're, you're already looking towards your next, your next gig, but also because I didn't really go into the process as we discussed earlier. I didn't go into it thinking, well, I'm going to go do VC and growth. Um, I was like, boy, this is like a kind of a reorientation from these mega deals that I'm like toiling away at 2am on to deals that frankly, I was more interested in uh, smaller growthier deals um, that were more, you know, tech driven. And so like, I also had this kind of like existential thing happening uh, aside from just the, it, like, you know, showing up. Can I leave week. early and go on vacation <laughs> and just take six months off before yeah. this? Yeah. No, they, they still rung us out pretty good, but um, yeah, you know, did I think, get, I think you get time the hard part about before? that was, did you get time? What's off that? Before, did you get time off before the jump? Yeah. Yeah. So um, as I mentioned, I was, I was there right up until the bank of America merger. And so there came a time in the spring of 2009 when the comp- the actual offices were combining Mm-hmm. And so for people who are on like live deals, um, they said, okay, well, we're going to make you move from World Financial Center up to Bryant Park and kind of join up with your B of A colleagues and, and you'll be there for like four months until you leave. And for folks who are not on live deals and who had offers, they were like, you don't have to make the move. So I actually had an extended, <laughs> extended period of time, uh, which was really nice to sort of like go reconnect with all the people that I lost touch with while banking. Did you travel at all or you just like hung out? I actually, I went back to Wisconsin and spent a good deal of the summer there, uh, which is the time to be there. And uh, yeah, mostly just spent time with, uh, with my family and had some family illness that was going on. And so was, was trying to spend more quality time back there. Unfortunately, it just kind of all worked out that way. Nice. So you had a little bit of a breather. You kind of moved to Boston, what a couple weeks before you start or a month before you start and yeah the what was that like so complete different culture 180 what it was going from banking to venture tell me about that so my associate class at uh bain capital ventures was myself and three other uh hires the all three of the other uh hires were ex-consultants so that was one interesting wrinkle and then we, we also did kind of like a global training program for several weeks where we were all together with the private equity team as well hmm. um, and kind of intermingled for a period of time, which was interesting. But um, yeah, what, I kind of hit the what ground. What was the training like? Is just like general like consulting? Like this is how you... Oh man, I'd have to look back. I think I still have some of the materials somewhere. But um, yeah, it was... I think for some of the consultants, there was probably some like uh, valuation kind finance of finance yeah. uh, boot camp, and and for us, uh, for well, for me as a banker in the venture group, um, was kind of the opposite. So that was that was one kind of cool thing was that I think I learned from my consulting uh, brethren like some of the skills that they were really good at, and I had no exposure to as a banker, mm-hmm. and and vice versa. So like you know, financial modeling questions came my way, and like market map, uh, competitive analysis questions went their way. And, um, so that was, that was interesting, but yeah, training was relatively brief compared to investment banking training. Um, yeah. And so then you, you started and what was the day to day? Like, what was like a typical week or typical day? Was it just looking at opportunities? Were you sourcing? How did the whole, what was the funnel like in terms of? Yeah. So the associate role there, um, you know, typically they would staff up 
a quote unquote deal team with like, uh, depending on how, how large the deal and what stage it was, mm-hmm. um, with a senior partner, um, like a principal VP type and then an associate. So fairly lean. I mean, almost never more than, you know, really three people on a team. Right. And then there was also an, so there was also an analyst level that, um, and at, at BCV, the analysts were really solely focused on sourcing. Hmm. Um, so those right, like out under, a, under, right out undergrad? Yeah, things? most of them were right out undergrad. And, and most of them also kind of transitioned out after a couple of years, as opposed to having career track to associate and then MBA and continuing on. Although some, some of the really exceptional guys did do that. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, I didn't, I mean, I didn't come in with a strong network to, to go out and like source. Right. And, um, so it was more like getting staffed up on a live opportunity with a partner, uh, or, or kind of principal level person who had been shown a deal and wanted to dig in on it and start, you know, either modeling it out, uh, on the later stage or like just diving into the technology and sort of market market positioning for the earlier stage stuff. But, um, so like, were you, were you involved in like actually putting together like investment committee memos, like you would in private yes. equity and yes, using yes. all that and putting the deck to get, getting the model together? You know, industry analysis, all that. Yeah, a hundred percent. And and yeah, like I said a little bit earlier, mm-hmm. we're you know even on the earlier stage stuff, you know, Series A, um, and sometimes earlier, you know, we were putting together pretty robust analyses. Um, Got it. So not your typical like couple pages. Still the monster pitch venture shop. So did you have to make it beautiful, or were they more forgiving than the banking your banking peers in terms of uh, the perfect <laughs> of the fonts? I want to say like yeah, it would be rare that I would get like a stylistic nit uh, at midnight, but <laughs> you know we still made relatively good looking. But your consultant. Uh, peers probably had really good skills in PowerPoint. So oh, you're yeah. Probably, yeah, yeah, yeah. So I think, yeah, the standard was pretty high for that. And and also because, you know, the investment investment committee, whether it was, you know, a late stage kind of growth deal, like uh, Bain Capital invested in LinkedIn in the series D or, you know, a series A that I might've been working on uh, both of those process uh, and, and those documents would make it through the investment committee, which was like literally, you know, 12, 12 partners sitting around the, the room. And so like, there was a pretty high bar to get, get through those committees and, um, and definitely not a running gun kind of venture, uh, venture model where you see some like, especially now that I've been spending more time in venture, you see some places where, you know, partner likes a deal, you know, partner does the deal. Right. And, and Bain Capital was a little bit more like formulaic and applied that same formula and process to some early stage deals, which I think they've probably, they've probably massaged that process a little bit to accommodate they've and stay forced, competitive at the early stage. They've been forced to loosen it a little. <laughs> well, especially with early stage deals. Um, yeah. And obviously I can't speak to it as much since I've left many years ago, but yeah. um, just to stay competitive with, with sort of the, uh, the Silicon Valley types that, that move much faster and can kind of like get through a process on an early stage deal within, um, you know, short, short timeframes. So you're there for a good couple of years. You, yep. I assume learned a lot. Um, but then, yeah, I mean, it was, uh, a really good opportunity to learn that asset class. Just having exposure to the growth deals was, that was very comfortable for me because it was very much like banking in terms of like building a large, you know, hundred multi hundred million dollar and sometimes billion dollar investment, uh, valuation in case. Mm-hmm. Um, and then on the early stage stuff, it was just really piqued my interest. And I, I just kind of discovered that I loved emerging technology at that time. Mm-hmm. And, and so. Yeah, just like a lot of other folks in my class, uh, it was really usually a two and out program and almost everybody went to business school or in some cases joined startups. 
but um but yeah out of my that. four class three of us went on to um business school myself and one of my best friends there went on to hbs and then one to wharton and one stuck around for a little while at, at bcb but you didn't do that or you did you actually yeah oh. you went you went to, yeah, I went straight from there to, to HBS. Oh, you went to HBS right after there, because that makes sense. Yeah. So you did two years yeah. banking, two years venture, and then HBS. And then you went to PE. Yeah. Or no, so, then, no, then yeah, you no, did right. internship in PE. And then internship you, in PE. And then tell um, me. Exactly. Tell me that, was, that was really, I think, like to satisfy my, uh, like the voice in the back of my head, which, you know, I, as we talked about earlier in banking, it was like, well, you, you're going to go from banking, you're, then you'll go to private equity, and it's sort of like a done deal. Well, when that didn't happen, I always kind of thought, well, if I have the skill set and I find the right group that I would enjoy working with, you know, private equity is a pretty darn good career. So maybe I should, you know, scratch that itch and and, and test it out. And so um, I did, you know, super fortunate to find a group, uh, Norwest Equity Partners based in Minneapolis, not to be confused with Norwest Venture Partners, which is similarly, uh, has a similar LP base, but uh, is focused on venture and is on the West Coast. but uh, the middle market private equity firm Norwest Equity Partners uh, is where I spent my summer in at uh, at Harvard Business School, and I had an absolutely amazing time there. So, like, I guess part of the challenge for me was that um, I, as I thought about like whether or not I would like private equity, I just I loved the team there, and I had um, some like friends of friends and even some family friends that knew people there, and so like uh, it was an instantaneous fit. Um, a lot of the same interests and, and like I said earlier, kind of a cultural fit there. Mm-hmm. But, um, you know, as I, I was, I'm, I was, uh, dating my now wife, as I came back from that internship, I was like, gosh, everything was so good. I had an offer in hand. So I'm coming back to business school with an offer in hand. Right. And obviously like very, very excited and, and proud to have received that offer. But, um, you know, a lot of late nights and deliberation and fortunately good advice from my, my now wife, but, um, about, you know, what, is this what you really want to do with your life and what keeps you up at night in a good way and what like wakes you up in the morning in a good way. And for me, that wasn't middle market private equity, unfortunately, (laughs) even though the team and the offer were fantastic. And, uh, I think I'll I'll say this, if I did private equity, it would have been there, but, uh, I I think I I was just kind of two bit by the growth bug. And so went back to the drawing board and started interviewing. Yeah, you were you were willing to kind of coast in your second year. Although, you know, to be fair, you had, uh, you know, coming from HBS, you know, you you're probably going to get other interviews. <laughs> so Interview, interviews, yes, but like I think the scariest thing was, um, you know, f- first of all, like the venture capital community, I think is probably as small or smaller than the private equity community in terms of jobs, right. and then also there's just fewer junior roles. Uh, I think because you have a lot of venture capital firms like the one that I'm a part of now, where we have like two senior people and really like no, no real junior people. Right. Um, and so as a result, there's not a lot of like associate and senior associate seats just sitting out there like there are in private equity. So that uncertainty was certainly uh, scary for me to go back. And, you know, I ended up having to interview, I think for like, from the time I turned down the offer from Norwest, I think I interviewed for like you know, off and on, but, you know, as, as much as I possibly could for like 10 months before accepting an offer. And was that because you just weren't finding the right fit? Or you, did you, were you trying to get back into a venture fund? Aggressively? Yeah, I mean, I was talking to a bunch of venture funds and yeah. then, uh, and then some of the, some of the ones were like, that I was really interested in were West Coast only. And I kind of wanted to stay in the Northeast. 
Yeah. Um, so there was that angle. Then there was just the, the frequency was, was uh, there were a fair number of people looking to get into VC and um, not a lot of interviews. So I was certainly interviewing fairly regularly, but if I had stuck with PE, I think it would just, there would have been probably more opportunity. And so just had to be patient and uh, wait for somebody to come along that was interesting and compelling and also venture. So how close were you to graduating before you, did, did you come close to graduation without an offer in hand? Yeah. So um I'm trying to think, gosh, it was like, yeah, right around the time of graduation that I ended up locking it up. And then I ended up starting that fall um, at, at Samsung. So Sa- Samsung was going through um, kind of an interesting, they were building a new group from scratch that was focused on tech and software. Mm-hmm. And w- they had an M&A arm and, and a VC arm. And uh, I was fortunate to be, I guess, the first hire underneath the managing director on the venture team. So um, yeah, that was a fantastic opportunity to get back into the venture game and to see it from obviously like a different angle working at a corporate. Um, but yeah, working in a huge company like Samsung with a lot of brand recognition, it made building the group a little bit, um, building it from scratch was a little bit easier. An internal, like an internal venture fund within a large corporate like that, it, how, how is it structured in the sense of like, are you guys given a mandate of a certain amount of like funding, like assets under, like it's not a typical AUM model or, or you raise an outside fund with LPs, right? So are they like, hey, here's $500 million, go, you know, <laughs> go have fun or are they, how does it work? Or you just kind um, of force deals? Yeah, so there's so many different flavors of it, as I'm sure you know, but yeah. Uh, we, we had the benefit. So the group I was part of is now called Samsung next. Um, and we had a predecessor that is still also still operating called Samsung ventures. And so they had actually established like, uh, a fund of their own. And we were able to kind of piggyback on that in order to get up and running quickly. Okay. And, um, there was talk about like, you know, having our own dedicated fund, uh, with, you know, dedicated capital from the, from the company. And, I don't think that's, I still don't think that's happened to this date, but there was just, there were a lot of like tactical things just with regard to getting the whole group stood up and like operational that, you know, I think just having assets to deploy was, was the number one goal. And and while I was there, you know, we had, we had plenty of capital to deploy and -hmm. we're still kind of feeling out our mandate, which, you know, depending on who the CEO or who the, you know, oversight of, of the corporate was, you know, would change over time. So you saw this sort of like sinusoidal uh, change between, um, being super strategic versus being super financially oriented. Interesting. Um, and so what do you think in the three years that you were there, how did it change? Like, how did that, how did that wave kind of change? Yeah. For you? I mean, well, so I guess what I, what I'm, tra- what I'm describing is kind of, it, it would change almost like quarter or, you know, biannually. <laughs> so, you know, that made it sometimes difficult where like you'd find, and that's, that's probably why I'm not there any longer was that I came from Bain Capital where it was like our number one goal is to make fantastic investments and achieve great investment returns. Mm-hmm. So my orientation as a business person and as a VC, even as young as I was, um, was towards that. Um, and then, you know, I had to like learn some new tools and techniques at Samsung in order to like play the game and get stuff done, get deals done that were both financially oriented and also made a strategic impact on Samsung. And that required me to be, uh, me and the whole team to be more political and like learn the ropes of a, of a company that was, you know, thousands and thousands of miles away. Mm. Um, and that, you know, we were, we were fundamentally trying to find software and technology to invest in knowing full well that we had something like 75 of the 75,000 of the brightest engineering minds 
you know, over in Korea that were going to like help us to either review or shoot us down or think that they could build something better. And so there was that kind of ongoing tension between uh, not invented here syndrome and and other things that played sometimes worked against us. So Um, were you, were you not able to, you were able to get deals done, but was it not at the rate that kind of satisfied you or like, was that a frustration? Yeah, it was, it was definitely, um, you kind of hit the nail on the head. I think it was, partially that would be really frustrating (laughs) well at that stage at that stage in your venture career like i think the more ownership you can have over a deal number one and the more deals that you can put on your track record to sort of like build that over time is those are two really important things and so um i was starting to get really good ownership over some of the deals Mm -hmm. which was good uh as in like being able to like lead and bring deals to the table on my own uh, as i got a little bit more senior there but um yeah, the frequency of getting deals done was not as high as I would have probably liked. And then, you know, you would get a, you would get a, a no-go decision for, for like a variety of different reasons, which was difficult to navigate and sort of difficult to swallow over time, mm-hmm. where we might do one, a very strategic deal one day that didn't feel like a great financial decision from my perspective. Mm-hmm. And then the next day we would do a you know, financial deal that wasn't very strategic. And so, I think the consistency of like how we made decisions has gotten a lot better over time. But, you know, while I was there, we were still filling it out. So it sounds like that played a lot into the reason of going out on your own. Tell me a little bit about kind of that whole process. Cause it's kind of daunting. I'm sure to yeah, <laughs> I mean, branch out. Um, I think it all, add, it, it all sort of grew out of what I, what I just was mentioning, which is like, get your own track record, build your own book. Like, live or die by the sword, so to speak. Like you have to do your deals. You have to um, validate that you have good decision-making and, and also good guidance of your companies once you've invested. And so I think the only way for me to do that in the most like clear and scorecard driven way was to really do it on my own. And, and not, and, and also notably probably not within the context of another large firm like Bain Capital, where, you know, you, you would have still had at least one layer of sort of oversight, um, as in like a managing director uh, that, you know, would have taken many, many years to get to that level. So um, yeah, I met my current partner um, who was an entrepreneur, successful entrepreneur um, and an angel investor. And he was actually an angel investor into a deal that I was deeply diligencing. And through that process, we both started kind of co-mentoring the CEO of that company. Um, He was an investor in it and I was just an interested party who wanted to, to help the entrepreneur. And so over the course of, you know, probably 18 months, I had, you know, monthly or quarterly check-ins with this, this young founder. And um, through that process, my now partner sort of saw, hey, not all VCs are, are bad. Like he was coming at it from the entrepreneurial side. And, mm-hmm. and he got to see that I really like to be operationally involved with, with the portfolio companies, mm-hmm. whether I invested or not. And so we got to know each other through that entrepreneur and our sort of shared interest in the, in the space that he was operating in. And uh, fortunately my, my business partner sold his business. And so he was looking for sort of a new full-time, um, way to deploy his time. And mm-hmm. he had a great angel track record that I was able to sort of take a look at and, and validate that, Hey, this is a, a great operator and great entrepreneur, but also B somebody who understands how to invest. And so I thought, boy, that's a pretty rare breed and a nice compliment to somebody like me who really came from like the financial and investment world and less operational. So um, we came together to build, to start studio in um, about three and a half, almost four years ago now. 
and we're in the process of raising our second fund right now. Congrats, man. Thank you. <laughs> Super exciting. And so you've yeah, made a, I mean, how many investments said, have you guys made in, in fund, fund one? So 14, uh, we, fund one was very small and we got it off the ground as fast as we could and um, made 14 investments out of that fund mm-hmm. and have now started making investments out of our second fund, uh, just committed to our fourth deal out of that fund. Great. So we're continuing to raise, as I mentioned, but it, um, you know, candidly, I think that was part of the, um, the impetus for going off on my own, which is like, if you want to make a career out of this business, you need to be able to obviously have the track record, get the experience, um, and, and be sort of like the first call in the, in the, on the call sheet for an entrepreneur when they say like, Hey, I either have a great opportunity in front of me or I have a huge challenge in front of me. Am I going to call an associate or am I going to call like managing director? Well, the answer is really easy. You call the managing director. And so if you want to be that call, right. Uh, which, which now fortunately I'm in that position to be that call. Um, you know, that's, that's sort of what I was aiming for. But the last part of it was you got to be able to like raise capital and build relationships. And so, um, I think if you want to make a career in this industry, obviously your, your role from being venture to now has shifted dramatically. You're not putting investment committee members together. You're doing a lot more of the outreach, I assume, and the, the networking, the building and those relationships in the specific spaces you want to, you want to be in. Is that, is that accurate? Yeah. I mean, it's, it's constantly managing a large and growing funnel. I mean, always growing the funnel, Mm -hmm. um, but also trying to be efficient in sort of, of validating and passing things down through that funnel and prioritizing continuously um, with just two partners. I mean, it's, um, it's we hard. See hundreds and hundreds of deals a year. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and so just trying to, trying to get through that is, is a pretty big effort, but you know, it's also the most exciting part about the job is that like every day I wake up to an inbox full of great ideas and some not so great ideas, but you know, the great ones are, are what really gets you excited. And like, you, you just want to like talk all day about it. And, and, and like I said earlier, it keeps you up at night in a good way. Yeah, that's great. So tell me a little bit about the actual jump from Samsung to doing your own thing. Is it, was the was the initial capital used in Fund One? Did you raise an outside? Did you have LPs, or was it mostly through the funding of your partner and your your own capital? So I was fortunate in that um, my my business partner and and current partner uh, had sold his business very successfully, right? And so he was able to put up a, a significant amount of, of the first fund. Mm-hmm. And so that was enough to sort of get the, uh, the boat off the dock. And then yeah. when I, when I joined, um, we ended up raising from a total of about 27 LPs, okay. um, of which, you know, many, many, if not most came from him cause he had, he had been doing, uh, been raising the fund on kind of his own for a little while. Mm-hmm. And then when I hopped over, I was able to bring in a few others and round it out. So, um, now as we go to fund two, you know, it's like a lot of the relationships have become shared and, you know, we've continued to build those LP relationships, which. Fortunately, with our with our different backgrounds, uh, you know, Liam and my networks are fairly complementary. So, um, trying to trying to leverage that and, and continue to scale the fund. What do you think's been the hardest part about kind of going out on your own, just getting all the operational stuff set up, or what's the? <laughs> <laughs> do you need a lot of virtual assistance <laughs> help, or what? What's the? Yeah, no, the it's hardest? it is. There's nothing that doesn't fall on your plate. I think um, mm-hmm. whether it's like health insurance, you know, paychecks whatever. Um, and it can be a huge time sink. So I think like leveraging outside and inside resources, you know, with a limited kind of uh, asset base is, is, is key. And I think prioritizing and maintaining your core focus, which is finding amazing entrepreneurs, making sure the top of the funnel is full and the bottom of the funnel is full of the best distillate. Um, 
you know, I think you just have to um, really try to take the 80, 20, eight, meaning that guys is finding you, great deals and the 20 is keeping the, uh, the train on time. Are you thinking of potentially in fund two, once you have fund to raise, potentially bringing on some junior help, some interns, anything like that? Or have you thought about that? Yeah. So we've had uh, a few interns over the years, um, mostly like summer interns from uh, HBS and other places. Um, and so that's been a, that's been a huge help. And I think, you know, looking back, as I said, there's not a lot of venture seats out there. So it's, 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 I think it's a benefit that goes both ways in the sense that, um, you know, this is a, this is a, uh, a mentorship driven business. And so like to have an intern who's exceptionally smart, but doesn't have a lot of VC experience, I think can be a win-win for us. And so we'll certainly look to do that again in the future. And then, you know, depending on how large the fund, uh, is when we, when we kind of wrap it up for fund two, we may have the opportunity to add to the team at, at the associate or analyst level, but um, certainly not a necessity. I mean, I think we've become pretty accustomed to managing the deal flow with just two yeah. partners, but um, would certainly be nice to have another set of hands sometimes. <laughs> for sure. For sure. So before we wrap it up, anything just looking back at your career that you kind of want to give yourself, your younger self some advice in terms of things you would have changed or things you'd tell the younger listeners in terms of advice as they kind of map their career? Yeah, I mean, I think I spoke a, a good deal on uh, how difficult the decision to turn down the Norwest private equity offer was. Mm -hmm. And I think like that enabled me to do a lot of soul searching and, and like, um, and self assessment, which was forced because like, it was a necessity, it was part of making that decision. But I think, um, looking back, I kind of wish I had done that more and earlier in my career rather than just saying like, where's the best next place to land? And, you know, for me, that was like investment banking, private equity, and then like, uh, you know, business school. Um, and it turned out that my path was some of that, but some of some not that. And so I think being open-minded and doing a self-assessment, as I said, to learn that like, hey, what I really care about is, you know, working directly with people who are changing the tech landscape, changing the world, coming up with new ideas, um, that's what real is I'm really passionate about. And like whether or not I can build it, you know, an LBO model in an hour, that's fantastic that, you know, you can learn that. But on the other hand, uh, if that's not what you want to do all day, it's good to learn that earlier rather than later. And so, you know, I was fortunate to learn it when I did, but I, I think being self-aware earlier on in your career can be really helpful. Great words to live by. I think we'll end it there. Well, Joe, thanks so much for taking the time to come on. My pleasure. Thanks so much. Great to connect and uh, look forward to keeping in touch. Awesome. And thanks to you, my listeners at Wall Street Oasis. If you have any suggestions whatsoever, please don't hesitate to send them my way, patrick at wallstreetoasis.com. Until next time.